All right, so welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. This is episode six. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and James Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I am doing okay. We are still um, in sort of a quarantine uh, until the end of this week, so through to Sunday. So we're still having to do our podcast this way rather than both Andrew and I being in the studio. Yeah, so I was just about to say we're still having to do things um, a little bit differently while uh, Dad finishes off his uh, quarantine. And uh, yeah. just to give a quick update for the listeners, how is Michelle doing handling the COVID right now? Yeah, so just for you know anecdotal evidence here for people out there, she was real sick with uh, you know uh, 102 point whatever fever, uh, body aches. Um, you know, things like that for at least the first four to five days. Luckily, she didn't have any trouble with her breathing or anything like that. But she was really sick there for the first four days. I mean, did nothing but sleep in bed and then started coming around. And, and now she's pretty much back to normal. So we're all happy of that. So that's our update. Well, we are obviously all very happy to hear that she is doing well. But it is also a special day today. We would like to wish... My father here, a very happy 52nd birthday. That is correct. Thank you very much. Yeah, 52. this is fun to do this on, on my birthday. Yeah, I'm, I'm having to make my dad work on his birthday. I made sure to plan it for that. So, of course, he's happy I'm making him do that today on his birthday. Uh, dad, you got any big plans for your birthday today or anything like that? Nope, not really. Um we actually bought a new uh, hutch that's going to go in our dining room that you'll see when you come for Thanksgiving next week. So we're, we're moving some furniture today around and that hutch will be delivered probably, I don't know, in, in the next couple days. Uh, you know, Michelle's doing that. So it's just kind of cleaning, shampooing some carpets, but I will have some, uh, a lot of Chinese food here tonight. That, that'll be my birthday uh, dinner. Well, that sounds like a good birthday dinner. Well, for all the listeners that are tuned in today, um, we do have a, another short and sweet podcast, especially while we're still doing things differently. We're going to keep it short and sweet. So we've got, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> just a few topics to talk about today. So uh, the first two that we're going to be talking about is uh, some breaking news from the NHL that came just, uh, I think, two days ago. Um, a possible lockout could be looming over, which shouldn't be too much of a surprise for anybody. Um, something funny to mention is Holpe's pet tortoises um, being held up at the border as he's trying to move to Canada as he joins Vancouver Canucks. Then we're also going to talk about um, the top 10 team rivals to the Boston Bruins of all time, according to hockey fights. So this will be the criterion will be based on how many fights um, a team has had against the Bruins um, overall, and, and like I've said before in the previous podcast, I think it goes all the way back to at least 1955. So it'll have stats up until about the mid-50s. And then, Dad, you are going to finish off by talking about what today? Yeah, we're just going to talk about some unique um, origins of, of some of the NHL teams. Uh, and the criteria is going to be basically, you know, if a current NHL team, where they were, know before and before we're not going to discuss like history of, of say the boston bruins you know was an original team that's an original team it'll be teams that you know have gone from place to place and moved around and where they moved about and we'll, we'll also test you andrew your 
your old NHL history. No oh, great. Well, I'm excited. I didn't study for the pop quiz, but let's start talking about um, the possible NHL lockout. So, Dad, I'm not too sure or if any of the listeners are, are super familiar with this as this kind of came under the wind a little bit the other day. But um, so the new CBA deal that the NHLPA um, uh, made with the NHL was finished about four months ago. And basically uh, for the next season, there'll be a 10 percent uh, deferral on their salary and uh, owner ownership uh, escrow has gone up to 18 percent. Um, but now the owners have suddenly wanted to change it. The last NHLPA meeting um, to where they are tacking on an extra 15% salary deferral. So it's a total of 25%. Um, and if people don't know this, actually, I, I read this the other day that NHL players used to make about 75% of their salary. And now uh, NHL players uh, for a full season now are only making 40 to 45%. So although that you could make a case in point, and we'll talk about this a little bit, um, that because it's only going to most likely be a 48 to 60 game season. That's also another um, thing that they're trying to agree on in the, in the new deal for the upcoming season. But, you know, that's especially guys really making, you know, the bare minimum, the league minimum 700 K and you know, only getting paid for 40, 45%. That's pretty bad for them. And then um, we're going to hop right into the whole beast pet tortoises. So dad with the NHL, uh, the look at uh, the lockout looming over what, what are your opinions on that i don't know too much about it other than what what you've just stated and i kind of you know the listeners know this that i i really don't like the business aspect of hockey i know a lot of people do i only follow it just because it, it affects the teams but um you know i mean i don't understand for example and maybe you can answer this you know what is uh uh escrow for the owners that the players do what 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 is that i'm not 100 percent sure i'd have to look it up but i think that they have to pay some sort of fee or something uh, i'm not too sure but i know that they're paying something to the owners is what I believe that is. So my take on it is this, just from a very layman's terms uh, of a, from a fan's perspective, you know, the players can't be paid their whole entire salary that they guaranteed because they're not living up to their contract of playing, you know, 80 plus game season. So it's a short season. They're going to be paid less, Um, you know, um, uh, if it's bubble, you know, how much do the players have to, you know, do they have to pay anything while they're inside the bubble? If they bring their families, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into the players union of, you know, making sure that the players come out of this. Okay. But yet the owners are saying, you know, if we are in a bubble situation, we've got so much lost revenue where we can't even afford to pay the salary cap this year. You know, we've got to take, we've got to make some, come some cuts, which is I think part of the reason why the Bruins haven't hit their cap space yet, but that's a, another day, another a topic that we can talk about. So I think the, you know, it's basically coming down from the top. Look, we don't have as much money. We're projected not to have much money. So therefore we need to make some cuts. We need the players to agree to do these things. And now all of a sudden we've got a potential lockout. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good news for fans in general, either way. I know that um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the business side of hockey but it is very confusing and there are so many different variables that go into it that it's so hard to just um have a broad conversation about what's going on especially when i'm not um 100 sure on, on numbers even though these are just certain numbers i've found in an article or two uh, that was what i would 
what I would like to know is from the players, which would be great if we could ever get one on, on our podcast. And, and I don't know if they talk about this or not, but you know, how do they feel when they have this so-called asterisk after uh, a season? For example, this season definitely has to have an asterisk, not to take anything away from Tampa, but you know, we would probably have a different result if it was that normal season and the COVID wasn't affected. Well, it's the same thing coming into this year. It's going to be a short season if there is a season. There's going to be an asterisk, just like there's an asterisk in the uh, lockout of, uh, when was that, in the early 2000s? 2013, or 2012 to 2013, yeah. You know, so, um, I mean, it, it, I want to know, is, do the players, like, do they care that it's an asterisk? Like, you know, meaning if they're just like, look, we got to play – got no choice but you know the seat you know it's not like it's a regular season meaning is it is it worth as much to them as a regular season and and uh i i think that affects their play no. i mean we don't, we don't we don't want to revisit the whole tuka thing but clearly he did not think that this bubble and this and this season was worth playing yeah and i was just about to say to all those rumors from people that were in the bubble um anonymously saying and it was multiple sources that uh, Washington was treating it like a vacation, that they were partying all the time, that they weren't really prepared or had a serious mentality during practices. And, you know, and that was a very, you know, just like what you said, it's an asterisk situation. They know they're going into the bubble. Some of them probably have stronger opinions about the pandemic and are saying this isn't worth it, especially being away from family and family not being able to come with them. So, you know, I, I agree with you, Dad. I think that it is seriously going to affect the play of quite a few players. And it's going to be interesting now, too, that uh, I just read that the Toronto Raptors NBA team will not be playing this upcoming NBA season up in Toronto. They are being forced to go down to Florida to play their home games. So that's looming more towards that rumor of there will be a just a Canadian division, because, as you know, um, they would have to quarantine when they travel from country to country going across those borders from the U.S. to Canada. So. Um, it's looking more like that those divisions are going to be set too. That's going to be part of the new deal if this new season comes up. And I wanted to ask, actually, Dad, now that I bring it up, I'm glad I reminded myself. I am curious as to your opinion as to uh, these new divisions that would be. So you'd have just like that East Coast division, you know, those West Coast, and then you'd have, uh, of course, just a Canadian division. And they're talking about possibly doing that for most of the season, especially while this pandemic's going. So what do you think about that? That definitely takes away all of our Canadian rivals, the Maple Leafs, Canadians. So hockey's going to be a bit different regardless coming up this next season. Yeah, I think they're trying to figure out how to do this safely. Uh, of course, how they can make income. I mean, because, you know, they're in this, the uh, you know, the organizations, uh, you know, to, to make money. Uh, it uh, to me, no, I don't like it. But you know, I've, I've I'm old enough now that I've lived through many different divisions and conferences, changes and things like that. But um, you know, we know that this would be a temporary measure, and again, it just puts an asterisk after the season. And I do think it affects the players. I, I, I really do. I can't see how it how it can't. But um, you know, then we come to the question of. Uh, well, would you rather have no hockey at all? And that's really, I think, what at the end of the day, the fans are going to come down to is you may not like this or that, but you're going to have hockey in your life. And that that's what's going to be important, I think, in the end. 
I 100% agree. I know as a fan myself, I can say that that's all that matters to me at this point. I could care less about the business side and how much the players will be getting paid and everything. Because regardless, a lot of them are still getting paid really good money to play hockey. But, um, you know, even if you've got a lot of money and you're rich, most of those people still have their own personal problems as well. I feel bad for the guys that are either at the peak of their career or at the end of their career where, you know, this is – and this might be, you know, the next two years or from last year to the end of next year is the most important time of, of their career. And, you know, it's spent being, you know, doing this. So I, I kind of feel bad for, like I said, those players that are reaching. And when hopefully when we get these COVID vaccines distributed and they're safe and people are willing to take them, then maybe we'll get back to normal. And that's really what where the science is at with the virus right now is, you know, if the uh, if the efficacy, meaning the, uh, you know, the confidence level is high with this vaccine and then people actually start taking it and uh, there's no broad side effect. for um, not so much for the NHL, except that they don't have places, you know, that they could send some of their younger prospects to. But it does have implications for a lot of other hockey players in the AHL and, of course, the ECHL. Oh, yeah, I agree. And it's a con- <coughs> contract scramble right now in the ECHL. <coughs> um, right. And, you know, um, uh, again, our listeners know that we also follow here in Tulsa, the Tulsa Oilers, who are the um, San Diego Gulls, uh, is the next step up. And, of course, they're the farm team for uh, Anaheim. So we're in the Anaheim system. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how they're going to be playing their games. And, um, you know, we don't play too many of the northern divisions, I don't think. Uh, but, uh, you know, are we going to be able to pick up some of those players on those teams at least for a season and then of course that you know makes a difference for the rest of the echl if everybody else is still on board now all of a sudden you know you can sign some players for a year on these other teams so it's going to be interesting but it, it, it hopefully we have hockey yeah i hope so too and um you know it's it's interesting that at least college's hockey is on right now i've been watching highlights of that but you need the nhl hockey and also, too, an update on the AHL. They're still shooting to start, I think, December 4th or something for their season. Uh, all their guys who are loaned um, to those teams overseas and everything in those other countries, they are flying back to United States. So it's looking like the AHL might start on time just with no fans. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this next season. But anyway, just moving on and touching base on this real quick. I found this funny and just wanted to bring it up. Um, and thought you might get a kick out of this, Dad. But Braden Holpe finally making the move to Vancouver. Um, he just signed a two-year contract worth, I think, $4.4 million or something like that, a little over $4 million um, per year. And as he was crossing the border to Vancouver, 
he unfortunately had to uh, stay behind with his pet tortoises. I guess he only had one type of paperwork, but it was for export import paperwork. He was missing the other part and he had to reach out to Twitter and had to reach out and just say, is there anybody who's got connections to the wildlife of Canada, whatever it is, and had to reach out. And luckily uh, somebody on Twitter, somebody had a connection and he was able to get a hold of somebody higher up and whatever wildlife and reserve thing that this is. And was able to get his tortoises, but from what I thought I've read was it took a day or two. So poor guy is trying to move into Canada and they're like, first of all, yeah. goalies are weird. Who the hell has got two big ass pet tortoises? That's it. That's all he's got. Well, he, he has them. And yeah, countries do have strong border protections when it comes to, you know, animals or what they call livestock. I, I, I haven't looked up the rules, but I do know that, you know, it's it's they they need to have their pets and livestock or whatever animals that they're bringing in. They have to have paperwork. It has to be, you know, diseased free because you don't want to have, you know, like some strange tortoise disease that's going to spread you know, to other animals or, you know, whatever. So they do take that very seriously. I am surprised, and I don't know the behind the scenes, but it would be interesting to see if what what it looks like behind the scenes. But I would have imagined there would have been some sort of human, uh, you know, resources for the Vancouver Canucks that somebody on the staff would help them with, you know, getting their, uh, if, if, well, Holtby, I think, is a Canadian citizen, isn't he? Um, I'm not sure on that. Well, anyway, you know, they have to, you know, file for work visas if they go into another country. And, you know, they have to deal with all sorts of stuff. Well, I would imagine moving would be part of that. But maybe they actually just say, you know, here's your moving expenses. And it's up to you to get everything there. And, you know, he just forgot to fill out a pa- some paperwork for his, his pet tortoise. So it is a funny story. But, uh, yeah, they do take that stuff seriously. And they will... Uh, you know, keep that at the border and not allow it in unless everything is, uh, you know, done properly. And I just think that it's so funny and so fitting that the, a goalie, you know, of all players, you know, because everybody's got their dogs, you know, some of them even go out of the way and get a cat or something. But a goalie, he's got two pet tortoises. Yeah, that is, well. That he, that he dresses are, up and stuff. Goalies are strange. He dresses them up. I've, I've seen pictures. He dresses these tortoises up like they're dog <laughs> goalies are goalies are strange you know chalk it up to that but uh, yeah like i said i would like to know you know do the players get any sort of help uh, not just financial wise i'm sure that there's you know there's money there for them to move but do they get help with things like this like okay you got pets and you need to make sure you get this and that and i would have thought that there'd be somebody there to collect all those documents and review them and make sure they're good to go give it to them so you can get through the border okay but hey you never know yeah and you might be hitting the the nail right on the head that they may just give them a little bit of moving expenses and might just say you know you're on your own make sure you've got everything ready to move across the border because I'd have no idea. I'd be lost. I'd be researching for a week. Well, a lot of new players, especially if they're single, you know, if they're traded to a team or whatever, you know, the team will pick them up and at least put them in an apartment or some sort of lodging for a month or two until they can find their own. So uh, they get some kind of help. But anyway, let's move on. So I want to talk about 
my topic first. I would like to close it out with yours. So, Dad, okay. these are the top 10 team rivals to the Boston Bruins of all time. And like I had mentioned in the beginning of the show and last podcast episode, I'm getting uh, my information from HockeyFights.com. So I'll, I'll say it again, the criterion for this right here, and I'll actually eventually write an article about this, but um, this is based on how many fighting majors a team has had against the Boston Bruins. So that is how that this is ranked, just by and, how many fights. And there's stats from the 1955s from HockeyFights.com, correct? I believe so. That is the bottom that I could get to. So I think that that's all that they have recorded on that site. But I would assume that, you know, and, you, and you'll hear with the choices as, as you get to the top five that these are pretty solidified for the most part. But a couple okay. of them, I was a bit surprised, just especially as a young fan. So here okay. we go. Starting at number 10, and Dad, feel free to chime in on any teams that you'd like to comment on. Because some of these, I didn't really know that the Bruins had much of a rival with them even back in the day. So starting at number 10, the Detroit Red Wings, 114 fights against the Bruins. Yeah, I mean, you know, hasn't been a rival uh, as of late, but there's been times, you know, their original six team, and uh, they've always been a little bit of bad blood. But uh, I would say it's, you know, a huge rival of the Bruins, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, I'm not surprised that they're there. Uh, I'm wondering if they're there only because they've been playing each other since 1955. And I think so. And I, and that's why I think with some of these original six teams, because 114 fights against an original six team doesn't seem like a lot. So with the, right. with it only going back to 1950s, I'm sure maybe some of these will be a bit different, but I'm not surprised by that. I don't see Bruins and Detroit having that big of a rivalry. I know Detroit, had it with uh, Colorado, right, back in, like, the 90s and stuff, or was that Ottawa? I can't remember. But anyways, number nine, the Chicago Blackhawks, 122 fights against the Bruins. Yeah, I, you know, it used to be when they had, like, uh, oh, what was his number three, Keith Magnuson. He was a big fighter in the NHL in the 70s, 60s, 70s, I think. And, uh, yeah, there's always been a little bit of bad blood, but I think, again, because they go back to 1955, that's why I think you might see them on on the list. Now, certainly some of the Bruins fans could say, uh, yeah, there's been rivals. I mean, you know, we, we fought them in the Stanley Cup and recently and things like that. But, uh, yeah, uh, an original six, two original six teams going at it. Uh, there's definitely rivals back in the day in the 60s and 70s with the Bruins, uh, mainly because Bill Esposito was on the Bruins and his brother um, – was the goalie for Chicago. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Tony Esposito. Cool. I think he's a Hall of Fame goalie, I believe. And, wow. uh, you know, so there was a good rival there as well. So, yeah, there was some good rivalries with Chicago back in the day. Number eight, Pittsburgh Penguins at 125 fights. Yeah, well, I mean, again, not surprising. I think Pittsburgh was part of that 67 expansion. Um, and you know, the Bruins and, have, and Penguins have gone at it since, from what I remember, the, at least the eighties with the Mario Lemieux against the Ray Bork, you know, era of the Bruins. We faced them many times and I believe it was conference finals and things like that. So we've, we, we definitely have a, a rival with uh, Pittsburgh for sure. 
And I definitely think that these next two, I'm going to say them both at the same time and how many fights each they have because they're only a fight apart. But this is only for this team that existed during this time that I found out. So you've got number seven, the Quebec Nordiques at 141 yep. fights. And then number yep. six, the Hartford Whalers with 142 fights. And like I said, the Hartford Whalers is the Hartford Whalers. It is not also Carolina because I know maybe some people would think because yeah. that was their old team or whatever, that, that expansion that um, that they would count. But no, Hartford is – but I'm kind of surprised. I didn't know that uh, – I mean, I, obviously I'm familiar with the bench-clearing brawls that they had back in the day and even with teams like the Minnesota North Stars. But I'm very surprised that they had that many fights against those two teams and pretty identical amount too. Well, what you have to remember that they were also division rivals. So, you know, the Bruins will face people in their division uh, a lot more than people in the conference or outside of the conference. And especially back in the day, you know, like in the 80s, I believe you put me on the spot here, but I, I believe it was the Adams division for a long time, the Bruins and Hartford and, and Quebec were in that division. So, you know, they played them a lot more, but definitely from a fan's perspective uh, through the late 70s, through the 80s into the 90s, definitely there was rivals between Quebec, very much bad blood. And uh, with Hartford, we discussed it in a podcast earlier, but, you know, Hartford's kind of the bitch of the Boston Bruins. You know, they're next-door neighbors. They they were an okay team, but they weren't the Boston Bruins. And even Bruins fans back in the eighties and early nineties, you couldn't get tickets to a game. And if, you know, if you didn't have um, Ticketmaster and the resells the way that you do uh, today. So you, if you didn't buy from a scalper there, you know, you, you're out of luck. So you would have to go down to Hartford and see the Hartford Whalers play. And that was, and be happy that you saw an NHL game. So Hartford was always just that little bitch to Boston. And, and again, you know, old Samuelson, you know, Hartford Whaler, I believe, you know, that's, you know, it's where he started and moved to Pittsburgh. So, you know, a lot of bad blood between those teams for sure. So now we are heading into the top five. And I'm sure, you know, even to the fans listening to this podcast episode, these probably won't come as a surprise. So number five, New York Rangers with 146 fights. Right. And all you got to do is look at the 60s and 70s uh, to see the uh, bad blood between uh, the Bruins and the Rangers. Again, at two original six teams, but I would say more rivals back in the 70s than today. But uh, yeah, I think because they played each other for so long, uh, that's where you see the, the penalty minutes. Another team that people won't be surprised by, especially I think that they were pretty brutal against each other in the 80s, but Philadelphia, 165 fights. Yeah, you know, I mean, the Broad Street Bullies, you know, and in the 70s, you know, the Bruins and them, they went at it, you know, a few times, uh, you know, in the playoffs and finals. And there was a lot of bad blood between them. And, and um, there's a little of that in the 80s. And, you know, uh, again, we play them a lot and uh, the two teams don't like each other. I think it's a good rival. So now we're heading into the top three. And number two, I'm a bit surprised by only because I haven't seen any type of real recent rivalry. So number three is going to be pretty obvious. That is Toronto Maple Leafs with 185 fights. 
Yeah, and you know, people have to remember, and the younger people out there, that in the '60s, you know, Toronto was the team, especially in the uh, early to mid '60s, I believe. I mean, they, they they won a lot of cups, and the Bruins were always in last place. And the Bruins, you know, they would have to kind of duke it out with people to, uh, you know, remain relevant and just to make sure that they didn't, you know, disrespect the Bruins. And, you know, the Bruins started getting better when they started making good trades. Bob York came in the late 60s, and then the rest is history. But, yeah, Toronto would, you know, they were trouncing everybody in the 60s. Well, this next team, I'm only surprised because, like I said, I haven't noticed any real recent rivalry, and it's kind of a sneaky one, but I'm sure dad old school fans like yourself probably remember a lot more history with this team. Um, But uh, you got the Buffalo Sabres, 232 fights. Well, again, I believe Buffalo used to be in our same division for a long time. Back in the in the eighties and nineties, I I believe. I mean, we'd have to look that stat up, but uh, yeah, there was there, there was always a lot of bad blood. You know, Buffalo was one of those expansion teams, and they were kind of uh, just an okay team. And the Bruins, at least in the eighties, you know, had their number all the time, and and there was a lot of fights. You know, and, and thinking about the Toronto thing, you know, we we know there's a a good rival with Toronto. Nowadays, because we should have talked about that, but if you're a Toronto fan, I mean, you're kind of like the Boston Red Sox before they started to win the World Series with the Bambino curse. Right. I mean, I mean, these guys are just, you know, are we ever going to win? Are we ever, you know, are we cursed? And, you know, all you could do is that, you know, that wonderful playoff season where the Bruins came back three games to none to win it all and to watch Toronto's face. So there's definitely a huge rival today with Toronto for sure. But yeah, Sabres, um, yeah, not as of late, but uh, definitely uh, there's always been a good rival between Buffalo and Boston. And I think a lot of it is they used to play each other quite a bit. And of course, number one, Montreal, 301 fights. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's probably one of the greatest rivals, you know, in sports history. You know, definitely the uh, uh, Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees is one. And I think they're very comparable. I mean, you don't know the days of of growing up of the Canadians just having their way with Boston. It's kind of us with Toronto today. You know, I mean, seeing seeing the Bruins get swept playoff after playoff, you know, it it, it, it was terrible in the in the in, in the 80s until, uh, you know, we started winning. And I remember that one season that we actually beat. Uh, I think Pat Burns was a coach of the of the Habs. Um, don't get I mean, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. No, maybe, actually, maybe I take that back. But it was definitely in the mid late 80s when we had uh, Andy Moog, Reggie Lemlin in that. We had a great team and we beat Montreal for the first time in the playoffs in a while. And but you don't understand, you know, that just the, the way that Montreal sort of did have Boston's number for years. Yeah, and I really wish that they had rivalries in the league like this now. And I think that some of it's starting to come back. And I think that hockey's starting to become a bit tougher again. I think that you saw a lot of that this season um, between, you know, the Battle of Alberta and then us and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think that there's some real, real good physical rivalries that are starting to occur. And, you know, you start to see hints of old school hockey coming back. Obviously, it'll never be the same or even comparable, but it is nice to see 
Um, but Deb, that's all I got for you on my end. So if you'd like to close out the show with what you want to talk about, we'd love to hear what you got to say. Yeah, well, just to conclude with what you're talking about, you know, especially in the playoffs, but during the regular season as well, it's great to watch hockey, but sometimes when a game does get, should I say, boring sometimes, it's it's part of the reason is there's no hate out there. And usually exciting games happen. It's either when it's super competitive, meaning, you know, everybody's trying to to score and win the game and it's you know back to back they score we score they score we score but sometimes you just need a little bit of hate and you need to have so much steam is built up so much frustration that you need that release valve the fans need it too i think and that's why fans kind of relate to when finally a fight does break out it's almost like a release valve of all this pent up frustration or, or hate we never want to see the frustration get overboard the way that we do where it's just stupid penalties and you know stupid fights in the last minute of the game i'm just talking about a genuine Right. You know, they say, who's your favorite team besides the Boston Bruins? And, you know, it's a cliche, but I do say anybody that plays against the Habs. <laughs> of course. You know, and I don't care who it is. I just can't, you know, cheer for the Habs. Even though I've got, you know, great respect for, like, Price and the things that he does. Even, you know, the dreaded Subban when we had some good rivals when Subban was on, on that team. Um, you know, that was some good rival times there. There's some hate there. But I respect Subban, especially what he does off the ice and all the charitable things. But I hate Montreal. So what I'm going to talk about I thought would be kind of interesting, and for you as well, meaning a, a young person, is um, to kind of, know where some of these teams have come from because um, I think it does uh, uh, it does skew some of the res results of some teams and and I'll explain what I mean uh, by that later so my criterion was to try to look up and I might have missed a few uh, but I wanted to take current teams and if they come from different places or different leagues Excuse me, where did they come from? Okay. So uh, I left off the list of like, you know, okay, Pittsburgh was an expansion team. Buffalo is an expansion team. So they entered the league here. Okay, that's their history. I want to go with teams that, you know, have moved from other places to where they are now. So uh, the first one's pretty easy. We all know this one. And their retro jersey that they wear, uh, Carolina. So we know that Carolina were uh, moved from the Hartford Whalers. Right. Uh, and, of course, the Hartford Whalers actually started as the New England Whalers. And I believe it was 72 when the WHA, the World Hockey Association, started, which was, you know, the rival uh, league to the NHL. I mean, they when the uh, WHA. HA came out, they stole a lot of NHL stars because they offered them much more money than the NHL team. So, um, but, but the uh, WHL, I think they went defunct in 
79 or 80, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, we took some of those teams into the NHL as, as expansions. But anyway, that's where Colorado, uh, uh, sorry, Carolina came from. Next, New Jersey. Do you actually know where New Jersey started, Andrew? No, like, actually, I do where, not. Where the New Jersey Devils started? Well, they actually started in Kansas City. In 1974, they were an expansion team for the Kansas City Scouts, which okay. is not too far from us in Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, they couldn't get it together, so by two years later in 76, they moved and they became the Carol, uh, Colorado Rockies. Okay. So they that's where Colorado first got their NHL team was in 76. And, of course, then they finally moved to New Jersey in 82. So they went from the Kansas City Scouts to the Colorado Rockies, finally to New Jersey. So that's where New Jersey came from. Cool. Now, speaking of Colorado, Colorado came from the Quebec Nordiques. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, so the Quebec Nordiques were actually in the WHA in 72, and they were one of the ones that the NHL uh, allowed in in 79 when the WHL uh, folded. And uh, then in 1995, uh, they moved out to Colorado and became the Avalanche. So that's where Colorado got their start. Actually, they were the Quebec Nordiques, which most older hockey fans know. So the next one has a little bit more complicated history. Um, and I'm going to talk about it in two different ways. But the Dallas Stars. Okay. So the Dallas Stars, as we know, uh, started as the Minnesota North Stars in the NHL. And that happened back in uh, 1967 draft, I think, is when Minnesota came about. But uh, what strangely enough is we're going to talk about this one team um, that uh, that had a, a start with an earlier team, but the Cleveland Barons, the Cleveland Barons, uh, were a team only for a few years, and they actually merged, I believe, with Minnesota in 1978. Okay. So they were they were folding, and they just got eaten up into the Minnesota system. So you got to kind of throw in the Cleveland Baron history. All right, now this one is a strange one: the Winnipeg Jets. So the Winnipeg Jets are not the same Winnipeg Jet. Winnipeg in 2011. That's right. I, I remember watching their first game. And the, right. And the current Winnipeg Jets are actually the new expansion team, if you will. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I don't know that much. I don't follow Winnipeg stats that much, but definitely they can, uh, you know, they can definitely say that, uh, you know, the Jets uh, are not the same Jets. The fans know that, but we, you know, young people today may not may not know that. Right. So, um, speaking of the older Winnipeg Jets, so if the Winnipeg Jets started from Atlanta Thrashers, right? So where did the Arizona Coyotes start? Right. They were the Winnipeg Jets. Oh, okay. 
Okay, so Winnipeg moved to Arizona, uh, and Winnipeg was actually a WHL team, WHA team uh, back in '72, and they got you know allowed into the NHL in 1979, and then in '96 they went to Arizona, who were by the way called the Phoenix Coyotes, and up until 2014, then they changed it to the Arizona Coyotes. Right. And I think part of the reason is that you've been there to that stadium. We, we've watched a few games. Uh, they're not located in Phoenix, the arena. The arena moved. Right, yeah. It's no longer there. Right, right. So anyway, so that's some crazy history there. And uh, who knows? We could talk about another podcast, but is Arizona going to be moving? You know, are they going to be bought out and moved? Because there's been talks about that. Okay, this one's pretty easy. Cal- uh, Calgary, you know this one. Where did Calgary actually start? I don't know. Atlanta Flames, you know that. Okay, yeah. yeah so the Atlanta Flames, Flames, they were added in 72 uh, to the NHL. And I think that, I would have to look this up a little bit, but I believe that Atlanta started a franchise to help battle um, the WHA that started in 72. So it was kind of the NHL's answer to, oh, you're going to start at your own league? Well, we're going to add more teams to the NHL. So it was the Atlanta Flames. And then, of course, in 1980, uh, they moved to Calgary. All right, so the uh, a couple other things here. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, which we know started as the Alberta Oilers in the WHA in 72, and they, then they changed their name a year later to Edmonton, and they were brought into the NHL in 79. So the honorable mention of some teams that um, used to be NHL teams. One of my favorites growing up, I thought they had the most ugly, coolest, not coolest, but ugliest, interesting uniforms, is the California Golden Seals, also called at one time the Oakland Seals. Man, I can't believe they were a team. They were, and I and I believe someone, it's either it's finished or they're working on a documentary. Now, what makes this team unique was, yeah, it was one of the ones that started out in the, uh, you know, the Bay Area of, of California or California in general. I mean, they did have LA as an expansion team, but they they tried to have one in the San Francisco Bay Area, I guess, in Oakland area. Well, anyway, they had this crazy green uniforms, and they also had an earlier version of like some green and yellow in there, and and they were the seals. And the owner was uh, an eccentric guy, and he wanted the team to wear white skates instead of black skates. Right. So they, they take like white shoe polish, the trainers, and they would take their black skates and paint over white. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. And, and they were, you know, uh, I don't want to get, I don't know too much other than I remember as a kid, the Bruins used to kill them all the time. But, uh, you know, we didn't see them too much because they were, they were so much on the West Coast. Um, but I always loved them. I remember getting a lot of uh, hockey cards, and I just thought that they were great looking uniforms, just unique, and their white skates. And I guess they were kind of made fun of a lot by the other players, but. Uh, anyway, they went on to be the Cleveland Barons. Oh, uh, okay. And remember, Cleveland then went on to be absorbed into the Minnesota North Stars. So the Minnesota North Stars, the Dallas Stars now, actually, I guess you could make the claim, have a good connection with the California Golden Seals. So now with YouTube, another video, 
you know, dump sites, uh, you know, you should go and check out some of these. Big hockey accounts on Instagram and stuff have done, and they're going to be um, grading it. On, we're going to be grading all 31 retro jerseys on a tier list, and it'll be on a friend of mine's podcast, um, Stevia Show, and it'll be a live stream podcast. So if you're interested, you can go to our pages. We'll be posting the links for that. That happens uh, this Tuesday, the 24th, um, at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. 8 p.m. And it'll be about an hour long, and my father and I will discuss beforehand where we'll grade them and we'll kind of get our opinions as when well. When you say, when you say 8 p.m., you're talking 8 p.m. Central, central time, so it's 9 o'clock Eastern time. Correct. So 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be grading out a tier list. We're going to do it live with uh, Stephen as well. And Stephen will give his tier list as well. And we'll kind of talk now, crap about tier list, what, what, what are we talking about? So you're going from a grade of F to A and then there's an another grade that's S, which is above A, which I guess is an A plus. So we'll be grading now, each jersey like that. So we're grading it on like the history or, or what we think of the artistic design of it? Or yes, what? the artistic design, what we think of oh. it. Yeah. And then we'll be giving kind of side commentary for each little one real quick of why we put that there. Okay. So that'll be All right, well that yes. that kind of that kind of sounds fun. I know there's a lot of activity on social media about all the retro jerseys. Um so yeah, that'll be fun. All right, we can we can do that. But uh yeah, so that's what I have on my end this week of some of the history and, and I think it's cool. I think you guys, especially you younger folks, you should you should check out some of the um, older uniforms, uh, especially 60s, 70s, you know, find out how Pittsburgh started, uh, what Colorado Rockies uniform looked like. I mean, it was totally 70s style colors. It was pretty crazy when you when you think of it. Yeah, it sounds you know, pretty. It, it kind of makes the Bruins design, even though we love the black and gold jerseys, but it kind of makes the Bruins look, you know, pretty, pretty bad. Like it was a basic you know, 1920s design that never really has changed much. Yeah, don't worry. We could be the Detroit Red Wing fans, and they just basically made up their practice jerseys for their yeah, same, same thing. But yeah, you know, but you even forget too in the 80s or early 80s, you know, there was a, like the hockey pants craze where instead of the hockey pants where you have the, the, uh, the hockey socks, you would have like a sweat pant. And I remember that, you know, many of the teams, if you look at some of those old uh, hockey videos, you'll see some teams in the farm teams. And I believe it was Philadelphia sometime in the early 80s. They had the straight black sort of, you know, sweatpant look when they didn't have any socks. It was just like a black sweatpant. And it didn't last long, but it is kind of strange. I mean, it is kind of interesting of some of the uh, uniform designs and, and how much they've they've changed. And maybe another hockey podcast we should talk about, too, is equipment changes. You know, I mean, you look at a goalie from the 60s compared to a goalie today. I mean, they look like they're, you know, two different size 
people, you know, like, you know, midgets and giants with all their equipment. But, you know, we could talk about that some other time. Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we, we apologize once again that um, the podcast episode may seem a little bit lower in quality because I have to have my father over the phone. But the pandemic, unfortunately, affected our family directly with COVID. So we had to do what we had to do, but we still wanted to be able to get um, brand new content out to all of you because my father and I are trying to keep this very, very consistent. And like I said uh, before, we're going to be trying to get other guests on the show. So if you are a hockey fanatic or just anybody who's got some knowledge to hockey, if you're ever interested in being a guest on the show, feel free to hit us up. You know, we could talk hockey for 15, 20 minutes, ask some questions, discuss some things. But other than that, um, we'll be doing our special live stream on Tuesday. Um, so and are we, are we going to make that available to people afterwards? Like, yes. Honestly? So I was just about to say, so what we're going to do is, is this podcast episode, um, obviously will be released uh, in the next day or so um, before the live stream. Um, we'll be posting live stream links on our social medias, including um, the Lindroth Hockey Twitter, which is at Hockey Lindroth. Um, so follow us there. And uh, after uh, we do the live stream, of course, if you miss it, we will be uh, making a special uh, kind of like a Thanksgiving podcast episode of that, um, probably the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving. So be prepared on the lookout for that. And we will see you all sometime later. Yep. We'll catch everybody. If we don't see you until uh, after Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving to all. Thank you for all the likes and the follows. Uh, we're certainly appreciative of all the people that are now following us after was this episode six. six. So thank you to everyone. Thank you and have a wonderful Thanksgiving and wear your masks. <laughs>